Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. Uh, Happy Sabbath! For those of you that don't know, my name is Jesse, and I am a sinner. Okay, so normally when somebody says that, then you respond back, Hi, Jesse. Okay, so maybe we haven't had a a lot of time in AA. I used to be a, a counselor at a treatment center for addiction, so pretty uh, familiar with the AA and NA program. And let me tell you, the similarities between Alcoholics Anonymous and the Christian walk are shockingly similar. There's a whole sermon just on that at a different time. But for today, the message is that I'm a sinner, and uh, quite a bad one. In fact, I would wager that if we compare our sins, I probably will win or lose. But that's also my ego which is another sin. So I say all that to lead us to my favorite promise. So we will just go here. So it's Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Done. And be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I do have a bit of a confession. When I got asked to speak through the discussion, for some reason, I thought we were talking about promises. So, found this promise, was going to speak on it, then I reread the email, and it's actually supposed to be about lyrics and lamentations. So, that's what I get for skimming emails, apparently. So, I had to scramble and find the lamentations that kind of worked with this. And I found this one. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. It is because of the Lord's loving kindness that we are not consumed, because his tender compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great and beyond measure is your faithfulness. Which actually sounds a lot like I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I think that's actually one of the most fascinating things about the Bible for me. Uh, And I noticed it the first time I read through it. I did one of those uh, Bible in a year things. Took me three and a half years. But I got through it. And what I noticed is how the Bible complements each other in very different parts It's all agreeing. And we can get hung up on the small apparent contradictions and the doctrine and the what I think this believes or what this means or what it doesn't mean. But when it comes down to it, to me, the Bible is one large story showing the character of God and him doing everything he can for his people. And and that aspect, I find, actually leaves the Bible. We see that all over. I believe that the Holy Spirit is working, trying to reach everyone. And if he's trying to reach everyone, he's trying to use every avenue he possibly can. So I grew up homeschooled. So if I am not well-adjusted, just blame it on that. You can blame my parents. But uh, I would spend the afternoon when I should have been actually doing homework, I would uh, spend it watching Star Trek The Next Generation with my dad. I was like 10 years old, 9, 10, that sort of thing. Started my love of sci-fi. It was great, but at the end of every episode, he would try and get me to realize the the Bible parable parable or parallel in this episode. And it was so frustrating. I was like, 10, 
I didn't want any of that. I wanted just space action. Like, that's, that's it. And even to this day, I don't remember one of those parallels, one of those life lessons. But what that did show me is how to look for those things through our normal pop culture. So, is anyone familiar with this? No one. Okay, so this is the language of Gallifreyan. Is everyone, anyone familiar with Gallifrey? <laughs> is anyone familiar with Doctor Who? One person? Nobody? Okay, so I'm a nerd, and apparently I'm the only one. Supposed to be cool. It was a show that started actually in 1963. It went till 1989. Super campy uh, space show. They rebooted it in 2005, and then it just became awesome. But essentially, for those of you that don't know, uh, Doctor Who is essentially about a time lord. So he is the master of time and space. He's from the, the planet Gallifrey. That was the language that I showed you. I know, super nerdy. And he goes through time and space going on adventures. He has no name. He calls himself the Doctor. And this Doctor, I think, is one of the best God characters or God analogies in pop culture. He calls himself the Doctor because everywhere he goes, he wants it to be known that he's there to help. So already, there are some similarities. He's weirdly, he can go anywhere in the whole universe, and he's weirdly fascinated with humanity. Sound familiar? And in spite of all of our flaws and our weakness, he wants to travel with a human. So he always has a human companion to go on these adventures. Okay, so that's a lot about Doctor Who. Clearly nobody cares. That's okay. I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. But there's a clip that I want to show you. And I want to show you for two reasons. One, because it has to do with what we're talking about. And two, because clearly you guys need to watch Doctor Who. So I'm going to set the stage for this clip. It's this doctor. They have a whole bunch of like how they can have different doctors or play different actors. That, that's not important. But this doctor and Clara, his human companion, Clara, uh, her fiancé dies. So, spoiler, if you were going to watch it, Danny dies. And she's racked with, with grief and with pain, and so she realizes that she has this friend who can travel anywhere. And she wants him to break the laws of time and go save Danny from dying. He doesn't want to, so she tries to trap him, threatens to destroy his ship, the ship that he travels through time and space in, lock him out forever on this planet. That is her plan. And she actually tries to do it when bargaining with him to get what she sees fit doesn't work. She tries to take matters into her own hands. That comparison is not lost on me. So now it's obviously a story of Doctor Who. So he thwarts her. They back in the ship together. But now she's faced with the realization that she betrayed her friend. So we're just going to watch a quick clip on that. Does it just start? So what now? What do we do now, you and me? What happens now? Doctor. Go to hell. Fair enough. Absolutely fair enough.
Anna? You asked me what we're going to do. I told you. We're going to hell. Or wherever it is that people go when they die, if there is anywhere. Whatever it is, we're going to go there and we're going to find Danny. And if it is in any way possible, we're going to bring him home. Almost every culture in the universe has some concept of an afterlife. I always meant to have a look around, see if I could find one. You're going to help me? Well, why wouldn't I help you? Guess what I just did, I just... You betrayed me. You betrayed my trust, you betrayed our friendship, you betrayed everything that I've ever stood for. You let me down! Then why are you helping me? Why? Do you think I care for you so little that betraying me would make a difference? Stop it with the eyes. Don't do that with the eyes. How do you do that anyway? It's like they inflate. Cut out the whining while you're at it. We've got work to do. This is it, Clara, one of those moments. What moments? The darkest day, the blackest hour. Chin up, shoulders back. Let's see what we're made of. You and I. Gets me every time. I've watched it like a dozen times in planning this. Do you think I care for you so little that betraying me would make a difference? That's not, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I don't, I don't know what is. That seems like a pretty clear analogy. And we can see this laid out very clearly in the story of Nehemiah. Another example. So, Nehemiah... He was the cupbearer for Artaxerxes I, um, and he felt burdened to go and help rebuild Jerusalem. So, as a backstory, by this time, Zerubbabel's already been sent, the temple's built, Ezra went there to help the spiritual uh, temperature of the people, but nothing has been done with the city walls, and people have just gone about their life, there's corruption again. So Ezra asks his king, if he can leave his post, his highly influential post, it's a post where he has the ear of the king, he's clearly, in the story, he's clearly close to them, and they grant him leave. And this isn't like a six-month leave or a year leave. This is, this is it for a long, long time. I think he goes back a couple times, but that's, that's it. This is the end for him. So he comes there, and he builds the walls. In 52 days, they build the walls, all with God's help. And he attributes it to God. He survived assassination. He survived threats. He survived dissent. But they did it. That's actually not that impressive. I mean, it's the Bible. God does amazing things. Great. That's, like, that's literally all of it. What is impressive to me is what comes after. So now the temple is built. And the Israelites celebrate. They have this big festival. They actually always find an excuse to celebrate, which I think is another thing we can learn from them. We should have far more parties and celebrate everything. But he... Oh, I got an amen. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Um, But after the festival, the priests and Levites 
come and give this big message. And it's essentially the rundown of the Jewish people up until this point. This is in like kind of mid 400s BC. And at the start of Nehemiah 9, they go all the way back to Abraham and what God has done for them. And then into Egypt, we're going to start at verse 11. This is where it gets juicy. Now, this is long, so bear, bear with me. So if we do want to turn to Nehemiah 9, uh, verse 11 to 31. Just heads up, I did not put it on the screen, uh, mostly because it is very long. Also, I do apologize for how bad my slides look. Can you believe I actually design websites for a living and can't figure out uh, PowerPoint to save my life? So anyways, Nehemiah 9, 11 to 31 and verse 38. You divided the sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land, and then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the mighty waters. You led our ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night so that they could find their way. You came down at Mount Sinai and you spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and instructions and were just and decrees and commands that were good. You instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath and you commanded them through Moses, your servant, to obey all your commands decrees, and instructions. You gave them the bread from heaven which, when they were hungry and the water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go take possession of the land you had sworn to give them. Okay, so already in this account, they are reminded of some very, very significant things that God has done for them. Brought them out of slavery, used plagues to do it, parted the Red Sea, wiped out their enemies, giving them manna, literally, what is it? Just this thing to eat. Giving them water from the, from the stone, all of this for their own sustenance. So this is verse 16 now. But our ancestors were proud and stubborn. That sounds familiar. And they paid no attention to your commands. They refused to obey and did not remember the miracles you had done for them. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back, uh, them back to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them, even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt. They committed terrible blasphemies. But in your great mercy, you did not abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud still led them forward by day, and the pillar of, flower, or of fire showed them their way through the night. You spent your good spirit, you sent your good spirit to instruct them, and you did not stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Okay, so their feet didn't even swell, which I guess is a big thing when you're walking in the desert. I, I don't know. But they, their, their clothes didn't even wa- like wear out. That's like the answer to fast fashion, still giving them food and sustenance for 40 years after they literally called God a cow. That was, that was their, their big solution. That it must not have been him. It must have been a cow God. And he stayed with them. See, I think God's view of never, when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, is a very different view than I have. And I have a hard time fathoming what his never means. In this, his never is at least longer than 40 years of being taking care of miserable people who betrayed him. 
He didn't abandon them, and he didn't betray them. God stayed faithful. A couple years ago, speaking of betray, I was sick. This was during the height of COVID, but don't worry, it wasn't COVID. Got tested and everything. Started out as a normal sickness, right? So got the chills, then got a big fever, got a bad headache, and by 4 p.m., I was in bed, shaking, and then I started throwing up. Okay, so this is where the story gets a little graphic, okay? So started throwing up, and I probably threw up every 20 minutes-ish on average, and by 11 o'clock, again, graphic warning, what I was throwing up was a dark, dark, like chocolate brown color. And earlier that day, I had barbecue chicken pizza, so I'm like, oh, it's just the barbecue sauce. Until the middle of the night, four hours later, and I realized I did not have that much barbecue sauce. I don't know what's going on. So in my pain and anguish, I'm laying there moaning, physically moaning out loud in the pain that I'm in, and I managed to text a friend of mine, a friend who is a doctor, and he happened to be on rotation. He's a doctor in California. And I just asked him, what does it mean when you're throwing up black? And he said, very succinctly, that means there is internal bleeding uh, internal bleeding in your intestinal tract. The darker it is, the lower the internal bleeding. So I know it wasn't my throat bleeding, that would have been red. Okay, so now I'm in pain, throwing up blood, and I actually thought this was it. Now, I, was, I was, had a pretty big fever, so it might not have been the most like, realistic thought, but I'm like, that's it. This is over, and I, I remember praying and being like, okay, God, my family knows I love them, my friends know I love them, you know I love you, just take me. We're good, we're done, everything's here. And I learned two things from that experience. One, I'm actually okay to die. I, was, I thought I was pretty afraid of it, but apparently when push comes to shove, I'll be ready. And the other thing I learned is that in any tortuous situation, I cannot withstand. So come the end times, when we're all hiding in caves, don't tell me where your cave is. Because I know I got about 7 to 12 hours of discomfort, and I'm going to tell. I know my never is about that long. Then I'm going to start betraying people. So we just all just need our own separate caves. We'll be good. No hard feelings. That's just the fact of it. Okay, we're going back to the verse. So this is verse 22. Then you helped our ancestors conquer kingdoms and nations. You placed your people in every corner of the land. They took over the land of the king Sihon of Heshbon and the land of king Og of Bashan. You made their descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and brought them into the land you had promised their ancestors. They went in and took possession of the land. You subdued whole nations before them. Even the Canaanites who inhabited the land were powerless. Your people could deal with these nations and their kings as they pleased. Our ancestors captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took over houses and uh, full of good things and cisterns already dug and vineyards and olive groves and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate until they were full and grew fat and enjoyed themselves in all your blessings. So at this point, not just survival, not just keeping them alive for the 40 years, making sure their feet don't swell. Now he's actually giving them an abundance, above and beyond. Not, they're not just surviving, they are thriving. But despite all this, which is the, this is the trend of the whole chapter, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who warned them to return to you, and they committed blasphemies. So you handed them over to their enemies. 
You made them suffer, but in the time of trouble, they cried to you, and you heard from them, or you heard them from heaven. In your great mercy, you sent them liberators who rescued them from their enemies. But as soon as they were at peace, your people again committed evil in your sight. And once more, you let their enemies conquer them. Yet whenever your people turned to you and cried to you again and again for help, you listened once more from heaven. In your wonderful mercy, you rescued them many times. That is the history of the Bible. God doing everything he can to rescue his people. And I love how Nehemiah, in this book, it's just laid out one after the other because you can really see, but we sinned against you, but we rebelled. And then things got good, and then we rebelled. That is a very different picture of never than what I have. As a very patient God. And when you look at the whole scope, this version of never is really put to the test. And we say never in a very cavalier thing. I would never do that. And what we actually mean is, yeah, as long as you keep doing what you're doing, I would never change anything. Or as long as you don't hurt me, I would never do that. I mean, even my brother. So one of the closest people in my life. We are are very uh, value-aligned. We work together. We have long, vulnerable chats together. I'm actually uh, in his will. If anything happens to them, I, uh, I get the kids. So knock on wood somewhere. But yeah, so we are close. So surely, in that context, there is never a scenario that I would abandon him. Except right off the top of my head, I can think of one. If he ever abandoned his family, we'd be done. Now, he wouldn't. He loves his family. He's an amazing father. Very inspiring. But I also know that if that happened, that's where my never goes. That's our never. Don't worry, I talked to him about this already. We've had these discussions, so it's okay. So even our never, one of the closest people in my life, My never is not what God's never is. Okay, 29. This is the end of this spiel. You warned them to return to your law, but they became proud and obstinate and disobeyed commands. They did not follow your regulations by which people will find life if they obey. They stubbornly turned their backs on you and refused to listen. In your love, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit who warned them through prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And it goes on to talk because they're still in their own form. They have some governance, but they still are kind of in captivity now. And it goes on to talk about what they're still going through. And then when it's finally done in verse 38, the people respond, in view of all this, pretty much the the entire history. We are making a solemn promise and putting it in writing. And on this selected document are the names of our leaders and Levites and priests. Okay. So they hear all this stuff and now they are going to make a vow. Then the next few verses are just a bunch of names of people. It's very tedious. Everyone who goes on the list. So by Nehemiah 10, 28, we have what their vow sounds like. Then the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who had separated them from the pagan people of the land in order to obey the law of God, together with their wives, sons, daughters, and all who were old enough to understand, joined their leaders and bound themselves with an oath. 
They swore a curse on themselves if they failed to obey the law of God as issued by his servant Moses. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. Okay, so pretty much what's happened is they stood there for a bunch of hours doing this like ceremony. The priest came up and pretty much just told them how bad they've been through the generations. They hear all of what God has done for them laid out in front of them, and apparently that's all it took. And they're like, sweet, let's, let's bow a knee, let's do a vow, let's curse ourselves. We are, we're good to go. These idiots, that's all it took, is just to think about what God has done for them. That's the solution, and they're instantly ready to change their mind. What weak-minded people. Except I see myself in that a lot. Where I cry out to God, and I look at all the wondrous things he does, and I make a commitment. Maybe it's for weeks or days, and sometimes it's hours. And then I'm back to the life that I lived. But maybe what they had is what we need. It's so easy for us to, get the big, to forget the big picture of what God has done, the big meta-narrative of our life and how he's been involved in it. What would it look like if we remembered all the times that God proved himself to us? I think that if we actually kept a record of them and saw them laid out in a timeline, it would be a very hard thing to dispute. Perhaps keeping the record of these times is what we need, especially when we don't feel his presence or his hand. I would challenge everyone Oh, oven, by the way, the band can come up. I would challenge everyone, mostly me, but everyone also, to take stock of the, of the actions of God in your life. Where was he present? What has he done for you? And I think if we look honestly, we will see an entire timeline of support, help, guidance, probably correction, but for sure his presence. He's one constant and no matter how it feels, his never is much longer than we can imagine. And he's proven it time and time again. It doesn't matter how bleak it is or how bleak it gets or the storm that you're in now or even if you can't feel it. I don't know if you noticed, but there was a final line in that Doctor Who clip when he gets really close to her and gets really intense and the music is swelling. And he says... This is it, the darkest day, the darkest hour. Chin up, shoulders back. Let's see what we're made of, you and I. Thank you now for notice it's not you alone, but you and him. Learn more for at he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.